Thank you for tuning in to the East Sonali Baptist Church podcast, where you will hear messages that are challenging to you in your walk with Jesus every week. We update our podcast weekly with new messages from Dr. Richard Sego. And now, Dr. Richard Sego. Well, that helps me today. I would rarely want to be what might be considered so self-indulgent to request a song just for me, but today I did, and please forgive me for that, but it helps me today not being able to call my dad for the first time on a Father's Day, and many of you know where I'm at in trying to deal with that. Take your Bible this morning, if you would, and turn to the 128th Psalm, 128th Psalm. A young couple took their two-year-old daughter out to a home improvement store. She got tired of walking, so the husband, her dad, decided to let her ride on his shoulders. And as he walked, she began pulling his hair. And although he had asked her to stop several times, she kept on getting annoyed. He finally scolded her. He said, Madison, stop that. She said, but Daddy, I'm just trying to get my gum back. Being a dad certainly has its moments, doesn't it? But I think probably all the dads are just like me. I wouldn't take anything for it. The greatest privilege I have on earth is not pastor church or being called in God's ministry or anything like that. The greatest privilege I have is being a dad to Kaylee, Carrie, and Kristen in my life. There's nothing been more rewarding, more joy-filled in my life than just being a father. And listen to me this morning. God has ordained... Three great institutions on the earth. The home, the government, believe it or not, God ordained it, and the church. The oldest and the greatest of these institutions is the home. The church, for sure, is a great institution, but it is only as good as her homes. Our nation is great, though it has been far greater But it is only as great as its churches. As the home goes, so goes the church. And as the church goes, so goes the nation. Through the years, much of the burden of having the right kind of home has been placed on mother. But the Bible places most of the burden squarely on the shoulders of the father. It is dad's responsibility to set the moral and spiritual example for the home. To see to it that the word of God is honored and revered. To take the lead in matters of discipline. To make sure children are raised and nurtured in the admonition of the Lord. And are in church faithfully. All of these things I think culminate in an increased chance of that child being born again when they get to the place to where they can understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank God for Christian mothers for sure, some of which have the responsibilities often that I just noted this morning. But remember, it is dad who will answer to God for it. It was Joshua who made the declaration, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was the leader of the band. Eve may have taken the first bite, 
but God came looking for Adam. You see, we live in a day where it is very difficult to be a good man. It is even more difficult to be a good husband, and perhaps most difficult of all, to be a good dad. And the world has a warped concept of what it means to be a good dad, and even what it means to be a man in general. Just turn on the television and you'll know it's true. Have you noticed that most of the TV dads, those dads that are portrayed on television shows, are usually stumbling, bumbling buffoons? Their dads in our families are just portrayed as essentially walking idiots. So, so men, when it comes to being a dad, who can we pattern ourselves after? Do we go back to my generation? Is it, is it Archie Bunker? For some of you, is it Homer Simpson or Ray Barone? I don't know. Well, our standard for dads, for men in general, should be and is the Word of God. And Psalm 128, I think, gives us some tremendous concepts on how to be a good dad and how a family can support a dad. So with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of God's Word this morning. We're going to read the whole psalm, but it's only six verses. This is what it says. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around the table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Father, we thank you for the word today. And we thank you, Lord, for our dads today. And now, Lord, we ask you to get dads in the word together. And Lord, help each one of us, uh, moms and dads alike, families in general, to pattern their lives and homes after the blueprint that we find in the precious word of our living Lord. God bless our time together today, Lord, as I share these concepts. I pray, Lord, that every one of our fathers and grandfathers, Lord, will just take these to heart, and Lord, they'll be a better dad this next year than they've ever been. We trust, Lord, that you'll do a work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In that first verse that we read just a second ago, um, the word blessed is used there. Uh, it means literally to be congratulated. If you do the things in the following verses, dads, you should be commended and congratulated. In the original language, it's plural. So in other words, in the original Hebrew, that word blessed is actually used twice. So it says like this in the original language, blessed, blessed is the man. In other words, it's a double joy. But if you don't do what this psalm says, it's double trouble. So if you want double joy this morning, if you want to be the best dad that you can be, if you want to be the leader of the band, and that's what you're called to be, then tune in to channel 128. I mean, that is Psalm 128 to see what it is that God has done. What kind of man does God build? We see three important things here, all right? Three important things that I want you to see. If you're taking notes, this will be easy. First of all, I want you to notice we see dad's character. Dad's character. First and foremost, a good dad, according to verse 1, will fear God. 
and will walk in, and I want to use this word intently, intentionally, intentionally this morning. He will walk in good old-fashioned character and integrity. If there is anything in shortage today, it is men of character. Real men who will say, as far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now hear me very carefully this morning. Not everyone who is a male is a man. I mean a real man, a godly man. You can be born um, a male, but it takes maturity to be a man. You're young only once, but you can stay immature forever. It's true, isn't it? I'm talking about being a real, masculine, virile, godly, biblical a man. A, a man of real Christian character. Let me just say as an aside this morning, I didn't think that I'd ever have to deal with this, deal with this on a Father's Day, but... It's a reality now. The whole concept of masculinity is under a barrage of attacks in our world. Now, listen, I'm not going to go too far with this. I know masculinity is, is often defined only as those who go out and kill something and bring it home and toss it up on the table for their family to eat, or they make it all about sports and all that. Look, I'm for all those things, but that's really not what I'm talking about. We're talking about distinctively being male, distinctively being a man. And there is an attempt today, let me use a good theological word, there is an attempt today to just sissify all of our men. And, and it's, it's, it's about God made us distinctively male and female. Here's an interesting thing. Statistics tell us that women, women are in the 95 plus percentile who prefer a real man. I mean, a, a masculine, virile man. They, even, our, even females say we are not attracted to effeminate men. So I, I want to say this morning, I'm not backing up on this one bit. I'm just not. I don't care if it's a cultural issue, governmental issue, whatever you want to call it. God has made us distinctively who we are. And what we're talking about this morning is real manliness. And, and when I say that, I'm not talking about whether or not you own a pair of boots or not. What is God's plan for the man? If you get a dishwasher, refrigerator, stereo, CD player, etc., you get a book of instructions. If you get a new automobile, you get a book. It's called the owner's manual. Well, God has given us a book. It is the Word of God, and from the Word of God, we discover what God's plan for the man is. We're not going to get this, folks, from some talking head on television. We're not going to be able to get it from some politician or Hollywood actor. We're not even going to get it from one of my favorites, John Wayne, who's already gone. We're going to have to find out from God's Word what God's plan for the man is. And there is a basic fundamental difference between men and women. And the devil is going to do all that he can do to try to blur that distinction. We're seeing it firsthand nowadays, aren't we? The Bible says in Genesis 1.27 that God made them in the beginning male and female. There are those that are trying to tell us that there's no fundamental uh, difference and they're going to do that all in the name of equality. Men and women are equal, but hear me, they are not the same. God made man and God made woman. God made them different. God made them different for a purpose. And in this psalm, we're going to find out what a real man is. God's plan for the man. And it is God's plan for the man to be a man of Christian character. Verse 1 talks about the pattern that a husband and a father is to set 
before his children. That is, that he fears the Lord. Now, the word fear there is not a word that needs to connote to you the idea of cowering in a corner somewhere afraid. No, the idea here is that this man worships. This man is all in awe of our Lord. Uh, he's to be a worshiping father, one who fears the Lord. He's to be a godly husband. He's to have a personal walk with Almighty God. His wife and children need to see the husband and father walking with God. In the home, the man is a figure, if you would, of a picture. He's a picture of Almighty God. Now, now what did Jesus teach us to call God? He said in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Now, if you're a child and you have a father, then what in your mind is that going to say? In other words, what does a child see when they look at dad? Uh, they're going to begin to draw some parallels between earthly father and heavenly father. And in other words, we're taught to pray to God, our father. So thinking about that, gentlemen, if you would, in the home, the husband represents, the dad represents almighty God to both his children and his wife. And the Bible says that God sent His Spirit into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, which can be translated best, Daddy or Father. You see, fathers, the reason you ought to live such a godly life is that you are modeling before your family what God Almighty is like and what the Lord Jesus Christ is like. Now, that's a heavy responsibility. It is. What will your kids remember about you? When you're gone. What do you remember about your dad? Let me ask it like that. I wonder what my kids are going to remember about me. Will they remember the things that I bought them? Let me ask you a question. What did your dad buy you on your 12th birthday? You don't remember, do you? That's not what you remember. But they will remember our character. They, they will remember um, us praying. I, I remember as, as, as a dad of young, young children, when our girls were little, um, I, I would often pray in the mornings at the couch. That was my altar. I would kneel down and prop on the couch. And I remember just like it was yesterday, I don't know what it is about somebody being up in the home with little kids, but it gets them up. And, and I can remember being leaned over on that couch and I just sensed the presence, of course, or I heard little footsteps coming across the floor. And I would be leaning, and they would come and, and slip up under me. They wanted to get up under me, and I'd just keep praying. Here are these little girls up under me, almost like a hen with her brood, you know. Uh, these, little, these little girls are up under me, I just keep praying. And, I, and I'm hoping and praying that that is indelibly imprinted upon their heart and soul that their dad prayed and prayed for them. What are they going to remember? Some years ago, uh, my mom and dad was going down a country road outside of my hometown. And dad went by something. He said, you know what? That looked like a wallet in the middle of the road. He turned around, came back and picked it up. And sure enough, it was a wallet in the middle of the road with an Ohio plate, uh, driver's license. And it had $700 cash in it. And dad told mom, he said, how in the world are we going to find the owner of this wallet? It's got an Ohio driver's license in it. They came back through my little hometown Dad pulled into one of the local gas stations and he pulled in behind a car that had Ohio plates on it. He engaged this woman in a conversation. He said, ma'am, by chance are you? And he read off the name and she said, yes, I am. He said, I was just out on the highway and I, I found this wallet. Is this yours? He, she said, well, he asked her, what's in it? And she described everything and he said, I want you to have this. 
Turns out she had pulled over for some reason. I guess didn't recognize it or realize it. She dropped her little wallet outside of the car, and my dad came along and picked that up. Now, listen, why am I telling that story today? Because it is imprinted on my mind that my dad, who could have took the $700 and been $700 richer that day, decided to try to find this person, and God led him to her. He, she tried to give him a reward for it. He refused it. I'm just telling you, those kind of stories stick in your mind. Now, allow me to share a second story with you, also a true story about a young boy who grew up in a Jewish family in Germany. He had a profound admiration for his father, and the entire family's life revolved around the synagogue, their faith. As a teenager, the family was forced to move in order to find work, and the boy noticed that the family stopped attending the synagogue, and they started going to a fashionable Lutheran church, and he asked his dad one day, why did we switch? And his dad said, well, we can make good contacts here for business. He said, we need to rub shoulders with the people, with the right kinds of people. And the boy later testified that that was the day that he lost all respect for his dad. And as a result of that, each day he started frequenting some of the British museums and formulating new ideas and putting them down in the form of a book, a book which contained an entirely new worldview. He conceived of a movement which he believed could change the world and free, from, free the world from what he called, and I quote, the problem of religion. That young man's name, some of you already know where I'm going, that young man's name was Karl Marx, the father of communism. And it all started because somewhere along the way he lost respect for his father. How will you be remembered by your character? Verse 2 even notes, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. A working man comes home and eats the fruit of his labor and he feels fulfilled by providing for his family as he gives an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. For he knows what the Bible says, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Now listen to me, I'm, I'm grateful that our government is sensitive to help meet the needs of people who cannot work. But it's wrong to feed those who will not work. And yet we need to be reminded to keep our family first in all things. Consider very carefully the cost of climbing the corporate ladder even. And you sacrifice your children on the altar of success. Your family, sir, is much too high a price to pay to advance your career. No one ever said on their deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time working. I wish I'd have made more money. How will you be remembered by your character? One who worships the Lord God and works honestly to provide for family. We see dad's character. Secondly, we see dad's companionship. Of course, this is the relationship that a man has to his wife, his earthly lifetime companion. There is an important portrait being painted here in this verse third verse your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house your children like olive plants all around the table that's that's a wonderful picture isn't it the wife is referred to as a vine now you may say that's not all that flattering but ladies all vines are slim so you ought to take some you know what i'm saying so yeah saying good things about you 
How many of you know what it's like to grow, to grow something on a trellis or a, you know, or, or a wall or something like a trellis or a wall? Vines typically have to grow on some type of fence or trellis or something of that nature. So here's the idea here that's being, the imagery here of this verse is, is really remarkable. The idea being put forth here is that the wife as the vine grows over the husband. In other words, he's her support. He's what's given her spiritual buoyancy. Now, some of you men are probably like, yeah, I love the idea of my wife being all over me. I tell her that's what I want all the time, and now I have a Bible verse to prove it. Well, that's not the connotation of the verse, guys, so trust me, I'm not giving you ammunition for your love life this morning, okay? But a a husband is to be to his wife like a wall is Or a trellis is for the vine. Uh, For Julie, I am to be her support, her strength, something solid, something that she can can cling to. Uh, She's not a dog, but she is my best friend. Amen? And I'm hers. That's the way it works. We're to be up under our wives, giving them support, giving them something that they can grow on. I mean, you really have to get the imagery here in your mind. She is, according to the text, an olive vine. Uh, An olive vine that grows so much that it flows over the wall. Sir, that's you. That's that's me. You are to be a wall to your wife spiritually. It's not that you're solely responsible for her spiritual growth, but you are an enabler. You are an equipper for her to be able to grow. You lead her. You take the spiritual oversight of the home. You offer prayer support for her. You make sure that she has the tools and desires uh, that she needs for her own spiritual enhancement. Don't fuss at her when she wants to go out on a weeknight to participate in a lady's Bible study. You not only are a wall to her spiritually, you are a wall to her emotionally. Now, I'm probably not the best one to be giving advice on this. But I'm going to tell you this morning, women are complex emotionally. I'll never, yeah, I remember uh, Julie and I were relatively newlyweds, and I came home one day, and she was crying, so I immediately rushed over to her and said, baby, what's happened? Who died? Do we need to start packing soon? Is your mom and dad okay? Is my mom, everything okay? I said, why are you crying? She said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? I was like, when I'm crying, there's something up. She said, I don't know. And I knew right then that I didn't understand this lovely gift that God had given me emotionally. And now for 29 years, I've essentially lived in a girl's dorm. (laughs) At any given time in the last 29 years, there's one of numerous different moods going on in my home. Raising three daughters. I'm telling you, I have learned there's a big, big difference between estrogen and testosterone. Big difference. You don't have to understand, hear me this morning, you don't have to understand every single emotion, but what you do have to understand is you have to dial in, guys, to this woman that God has given you. And you have got to know her heart. Admittedly, sometimes it's hard to know what to do with this wonderfully complex woman that God has given all of us guys so graciously, blessed with you as your wife, but you have to Study your wife. 
a woman went to a doctor's office where she was being seen by one of the new doctors. After about four minutes in the examination room, she burst out of the room, went running down the hall, screaming to the top of her lungs. An older, more seasoned doctor filed in behind her and went to where she was to inquire what the problem was. She shared with him what had just happened in the room with the new doctor. So he had her sit down and relax in another room. The older daughter marched down the hallway to the back uh, where the first doctor was and demanded, what's the matter with you? The doctor said to the younger, Miss Terry is 63 years old. She has four children and seven grandchildren. And you told her that she was pregnant. The doctor was charting. He was writing. And without ever even looking up, he said, Does she still have the hiccups? Now, he figured out a way to cure the woman's hiccups. And I'm just telling you guys, you're going to have to figure out a way to meet your wife's emotional need. Don't try to make her have the same emotional construct like you have. Rather, figure out what makes her tick. You want to be the leader of the band? You've got to be a wall for your wife. She's that vine that grows over you. You're her support. Dad of character. A dad's companionship, number three. A dad's child rearing. We have a wonderful picture here of a spiritual progression of sorts that flows from dad to the family to the nation. The dad, this dad in this, in this text is a man that seeks God's blessing and therefore becomes God's blessing. The blessing goes beyond his own family. The blessing goes to the nation I want you to hear me this morning. America will never be right until our homes are right. And our homes will never be right until our daddies are right. God's plan for the man is to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in verse 3, we have a picture here of a wife like a tender vine growing over the support of her husband and children like olive plants around the table. Do you know one thing that they both have in common? They, both the vine and the olive branch, they both need to be cared for. They need to be cultivated. A, a vine is very fruitful, but it needs support. It needs something that it can lean upon. So your wife is like a vine by the side of the house, leaning over, growing over the husband's support base. And the olive trees, your children, you see in the Middle East, if you had olive trees, you had a source of productivity for, for years to come. It, it was a source even of wealth. The olive trees are green, they are productive, they are beautiful, and they are stable, but they do require some cultivation. And fathers, you and I are to cultivate our olive trees, that is our, our children. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them. What does that mean? It means, don't, it means to, to, to exasperate them or to frustrate them or to badger them or to wound them or to humiliate them. No, we're to be a spiritual prop. They can lean on you spiritually. Now, they don't always realize it, but they need your instruction. They need your guidance. They won't realize it right now, but they need you to tell them no. 
that's not a dirty word in the home. Now, I advise you, say yes all you can, for sure. But there is a time to say, no, these are your olive plants. This is your wife. This is your home. Now, some people will say that they don't have time for their chief assignment from God concerning their wife and their kids. Listen to me, God. It is your job to make her and them more radiantly beautiful for Christ. You are the pastor in the home. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now I know some will say that we, we believe in mutual submission. That's a contradiction in terms. Christians in general are to be mutually submitted one to another. But in the home there is headship. Anything without a head is dead. Anything with two heads is a freak. I'm telling you leadership is needed. And I don't have the time to unpack what, what submission is this morning. I will say it's not tyrannical leadership. It's not abuse. It's not anything like that. It is submitting to the loving Christ-like leadership of the Father. Olive trees, they need nurture. Parenting, parenting is difficult. In all of my life, there's never been anything that's challenged me to the level, I think, to where I would just sit down before the Lord at times and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. How do I take this little girl, and I'm rough around the edges, you know, which I think that's why God gave me three girls, to knock some of those rough edges off of me. Because they'll wrap you up around that little finger. You dads know what I'm talking about, right? But just, just to sit before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm at a loss. What do I do? It's difficult. In fact, it can be downright frightening. Take for an example a letter that a daughter sent to her mom and dad. And I'm going to read this letter. It said, Mom and Dad, it has now been three months since I left for college. I have been remiss in writing, and I'm very sorry for the thoughtlessness and not having written before. I will bring you up to date now. But before you read on, please sit down. Please do not read any further unless you're sitting down, okay? Well then, I am getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out the window of my dormitory when it caught fire recently are pretty well healed now. I only spent two weeks in the hospital and now I can see almost normally and only get those sick headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire in the dormitory and my jump were witnessed by an attendant at the gas station near the dorm, and he was the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me in the hospital, and since I had nowhere to live because of the burnout dormitory, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. It really is a basement room, more like than just a home, but he said it's kind of cute. It is a very, he is a very cute boy, and we have fallen deeply in love and are planning to get married. We haven't set the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. Yes, mother and dad, I am pregnant. I know how much you're looking forward to being grandparents, and I know you will welcome the baby and give it the same love and devotion and care that you gave to me when I was a child. The reason for the delay in our marriage is that my boyfriend has some minor infection which prevents us from passing the premarital blood test, and I carelessly caught it from him. This will clear up with the penicillin injections that I am now taking daily. I know you will welcome him into the family with wide open arms. He is kind, and although not well-educated, he is ambitious. Although he is of a different culture and religion than ours, I know your tolerance will not permit you to be bothered by the language barrier. 
I am sure that you will love him as I do. His family background is good too, as he learned ways from his parents to make money without actually working. Now that I have brought you up to date, folks, I want to tell you that there is or there was no dormitory fire. I did not have a concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I am not pregnant. I am not engaged. I do not have syphilis, and there is no man in my life. However, I am getting a D in history and an F in science, and I wanted you to see. And I wanted you to see that things with me could be a lot worse than just a couple of bad grades. Your loving daughter, Lydia. I'm telling you, parenting can be frightening. It can, right? That's why God designed the home. And all of my sympathy, compassion, and prayer goes to so many single moms as well who are doing their best under God and under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. With that being said, God designed the home to function at its best and at its optimum under the steady hand of a godly father. Let me tell you something interesting about olive plants. They grow very, very slowly. But if properly cultivated and fertilized and cared for, they can produce fruit for up to 800 years. Guys, we're not raising mushrooms that pop up overnight after you've mowed the lawn. We're raising olive trees that takes time and energy and effort. We want our children to be strong and stable and well-rooted and grounded in the things of God. We need to water them. We need to shower our children with time, cultivate relationships with them, do some pruning at times, in fact, quite often. And we need to introduce them to the light of the Son of God to protect them from the pests that are all around them who would eat them alive if they were out from under our protective eye. Most of all, we, we need a lot of spiritual miracle growth, which I think is prayer. And when the family's right, a nation can be right. Have we been looking at this thing the wrong way? We always talk about the condition of our country from an external perspective. And this is what I mean. It, the condition of our country is always like this. It's what they have done out there. It's what they have perpetrated. The politicians, Capitol Hill. Could it be that we have turned the pyramid upside down? And could it be that what, what the real issue is, is we've not done what we need to be doing to raise families on the principles of God's Word? We've been too concerned with rushing them off to the next travel ball tournament instead of rushing them down to the house of God where they can hear teaching and to be taught in the home. I like the way John Phillips writes about this passage. He says that a godly family, first of all, brings blessings at the center. And he notes verse 5, he says, The Lord bless you out of Zion. In, in the Psalms, Zion stands for the political heart of the nation, the citadel of David. During the millennial reign, we know that Zion is to be the center of all political power throughout the whole of the Lord's worldwide empire. He who held Zion held the city and the nation. Let a nation's family be right. 
And I think everything else can be right. Our political center could be better if our families were better. Now we could say that Washington, D.C. is the center or the hub of our country. But listen, I think we've turned this pyramid up on its head. We're too focused on what's going on under the roof of the White House instead of what's going on under the roof of our house. I'm telling you right now, I don't care if it's Trump, Obama, or somebody else. They are not going to fix the family. And it's become an easy talking point for us to point to politicians and to point to Capitol Hill and say this is the real issue. No, the real issue is in the home. If we had better homes, we'd have a better country. I believe it with all my heart. You can trace the, the dissolution of the home to the downturn in our country. Blessings in the center. Blessings, secondly, in the city. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. That's what this godly man will see. God bless the city through the blessed Christian. Let me just ask you. I'm going to just pose a question. I can't answer it. But I'm going to pose the question. Has Riceville, Tennessee and Athens, Tennessee lost out on any blessings because our families aren't what they're supposed to be? Would our cities which are probably represented actually by Riceville, Athens, Nyota, Etowah, Cleveland, and I don't know, all these other little communities around here that I've yet to discover. Would they be more blessed if our families were where they ought to be? I can't answer that question. I want you to chew on that one all afternoon, okay? Number three, blessings for our country. Peace, he says, be upon Israel. There's a connection here somehow between the godly man, his wife, and his children somehow bringing peace to Israel. God can bring peace to a country through the home. You cannot divorce the security of the homeland from the sanctity of the home. And one cannot divorce the sanctity of the home from the spirituality of the parents. Here's a question. What is wealth? What is real wealth? Wealth. Is it a BMW? Is it a five-bedroom, four-bath patio and a pool? I'm going to tell you what wealth is. It is children that love their family and that is saved. It is a stable dad being the anchor point for the home. It is a wife that's growing over the support that that husband offers. Children don't make a rich man poor. They make a poor man rich. The rich man can't take his money to heaven, but he can take his kids to heaven. Amen? I'm planning on taking my grandkids too. We're going to heaven. This is our, our wealth. We've seen God's plan for the man, a dad of character, a dad's companion, and a dad's uh, child rear. Now, now listen very closely to him as I, as I close. There's bound to be some guys here today who are saying, I'd like to be that kind of dad. And, and here's going to, here's, I, I think this mindset's prevalent. I'd like to be that kind of dad, but I can't be that kind of dad because I didn't have that kind of dad. 
So you say, I'm, without, I'm left without a model. Let me give you a word here this morning. You can't do anything about your ancestors. But you can do something about your descendants. And with you and by God's grace, you can break that cycle. Sir, it can start with you. It can start with you where your family for the next generation and beyond can take on a whole new complexion if you'll step up to the plate and be the man God called you to be. I want you to bow with me for a moment. Let me say, the kind of man described in Psalm 128 cannot be achieved of your own strength, ability, talent, etc. The only way you'll be that man that's described is by being a follower of Jesus Christ. Sir, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I'm urging you to do so today. Ma'am, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I'm urging you to do so today. Teenagers, students, boys and girls, I'm urging you to give your life to Christ today. In just a moment, I'm going to be down front here to greet any of you who would be coming and saying, Pastor, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Some of you have done that in recent days, both adults and children alike, and you need to make that decision public today and unashamedly come professing your faith in Jesus Christ. It'll be my joy to welcome you as well. You say, Pastor, what do I need to do when I get down front if I've never been saved? Just simply come and tell me, Pastor, I want to be saved. If you have questions, then we'll take time. Even if we have to send you with a counselor to a, a room um, just off the worship center here so you can ask questions and, and better understand the gospel, we'll take that time. We don't have to be in any hurry. You come. Dads, how many of you need to make some adjustments, some changes in your life to be the dad God wants you to be? Maybe you just want to come alone down to the altar. Maybe you just need some of that alone time, personal time this morning to get before God and say, God, I need you. If I'm going to be this dad, I need you. Why don't you come as well? If you need to unite with the East and Ollie family, you're always welcome to come. Father, it is for your glory and for your good that we do anything at all. Whether it's preach, make decisions, be a dad or whatever, it's all for your glory. God, if we're really going to bring glory to you, then we need to be striving. Surrendered and striving all at the same time. Surrendered to your grace, your strength, but then, Lord, willing to expend the energy and the effort to be a disciple, to love our wives, to love our kids, to be that mooring point for the family so that we don't just aimlessly drift out across the open waters of life. God bless this morning. We're grateful for our dads. We're thankful for the tremendous investment that they make in their life, in the lives of their family, their, their wives and their children. But Lord, I think for each of us this morning, there's some kind of decision to be made for all of us, me included, that we could be better. And Lord, by your grace, we will be. Jesus' name, stand to your feet. Thanks for listening to the Easton Ollie Baptist Church Podcast. 
Be sure to go to our website, eastonali.church, to find more messages like you just heard and to find out how to be more involved at Easton Ali. If at any point during this message you made a decision to follow Jesus or you would just like more information about Easton Ali, email info at eastonali.church. God bless and have a great week.